I'm Jason Mitchell, co-head of Responsible Investment at Man Group. You're listening to Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future, a podcast about what we're doing today to build a more sustainable world tomorrow. How does change work? And who can you count on to drive it? I ask that because we tend to simplify the complexity of the financial system down to its most visible constituent parts, like the banks, big investors, corporates, and regulators. So change, or the lack of change, depending on who you ask, seems quite obvious here at the institutional level. But the reality is that this system is far more varied, and it's constantly evolving. So it's worth thinking about the theory of change in the context of the individual, of the pension saver, as opposed to the institutional investor. Which brings up a whole number of questions, like, what's the power of their collective voice? Who speaks for them? Who agitates for change on their behalf? In short, who has their back? For instance, if climate disclosure is important to you as a saver, or living wages, or the need for greater board diversity, how can you make sure that the companies you're invested in hear your concerns? To understand how share action is addressing these questions, I sat down with Catherine Howarth and Bethan Livesey. ShareAction is a UK-based investor action group and campaigning organization, coordinating civil society activism to promote responsible investment policy and practices by pension funds and other institutional investors across Europe. Catherine is the chief executive of ShareAction. She is a board member of the Scott Trust, owner of The Guardian, serving on the Scott Trust's investment committee. She serves on Her Majesty's Treasury's Asset Management Task Force and was a member-nominated trustee of the Pensions Trust. Catherine was also recognized as a young global leader by the World Economic Forum in 2014. Bethan leads ShareAction's policy engagement and research work aimed at developing ShareAction's thought leadership role in the responsible investment debate. She previously worked as a litigator in the city of London. Welcome to Perspectives on a Sustainable Future. It's great to have you on the show, Catherine. Sure. Well, it's wonderful to be on this podcast. I'm really looking <laughs> forward to our conversation. So I want to start with you because you've got a really, really interesting backstory. I mean, can you give us a sense of, of, of your personal arc? What took you from, you know, these, these beginnings as a researcher at the New Policy Institute, uh, as a community organizer for London citizens to something like Fair Pensions and now currently at Share Action? Um, I would say that I have been, I don't know, an activist forever, really. Um, I remember really clearly reading about the suffragettes at the age of nine and just thinking that was the coolest thing ever, that people were prepared to work together um, and make some sacrifices, but uh, also achieve great joy and outcomes by um, fighting for what they believed was right. And so anyway, I just kind of have ended up being attracted into things that um, are designed to make a difference, but also really fascinated in in tactical creativity. And I think some of what we try and do at Share Action is is quite tactically creative. But um, I actually got first into shareholder activism um, many years ago when I was um, starting out on my first career as a community organizer and activist in the East End of London. And at the time... Um, Barclays Bank and HSBC Bank were both building their new world headquarters at Canary Wharf, um, which is a you know incredible and successful business district, district surrounded by some of the poorest communities in the United Kingdom. And um, someone had the bright idea of buying some shares in these companies um, so that we could attend the AGMs and um, 
and, and I bought five shares in HSBC. Um, I still hold those five shares. They've been a fantastic personal investment. They kind of set <laughs> me on my whole career course. Um, and uh, I still take great pleasure in um, turning up and asking questions at HSBC AGM. And, and by the way, I have a great relationship with the bank and um, we'd be really pleased by um, the moves they've made over the years as a result of our activism. But that campaign back then was on the living wage and um, Barclays first, then HSBC became the first UK listed companies to commit to paying everyone, including the contracted cleaners and catering staff, uh, the living wage, which is 20 percent plus higher than the minimum wage. And um, when you live in London, that's totally critical to your quality of life and your standard of living and whether you can do nice things with your kids on the weekend, etc., instead of taking another job. So I'm really proud of that campaign. And, and, and it really educated me about uh, the amazing impact that shareholder activism can have turning up and asking questions of powerful people who, who oversee and run companies. Um, but, I, but I also started asking my own questions, which is, well, where does the real power lie? And it turns out it lies in institutional investment sector, in big pension funds and fund management groups. And so I thought, hell, how do I get in that? And I stood for election um, to my own pension fund and um, was elected by the members so from kind of knowing not much at all, I suddenly was on the board of one of the UK's largest pension funds. And it was an incredible baptism of fire in terms of a learning experience. Um, and I took really seriously kind of grappling with my fiduciary duties that I suddenly had to act in the best interest of all of these people from the, from the not-for-profit sector whose pension funds we were responsible for. And anyway, so that's kind of my... Uh, origins and entry story into this crazy world of shareholder activism. I'm curious, did you have like an intuition even back then that the way that we defined something like fiduciary duty was a little bit too, uh, too constrained. It, it didn't, um, it didn't allow for environmental social governance, you know, considerations. Sure. Well, um, what actually happened to me is I, I was elected and joined the board of the pensions trust, this very large multi-employer pension scheme in April 2008. And at my third board meeting, layman's fell right in the middle of the board meeting. It was like a two-day meeting. And suddenly, global capital markets just crashed. Um, and all of our assets were just suddenly sort of reduced uh, in this incredibly frightening and disempowering way. And it really did make me ask some questions right in the early days of my journey as a, as a pension trustee about whether we're defining what's required um, in a smart and foresighted way uh, about what it takes to protect pension fund assets. And yes, I think there is a real, um, there has been a real narrowness and neglect of um, environmental, social and governance factors, but also of factors driving financial stability. Um, and uh, I don't think we're still getting all of it right, but um, I think the financial crisis obviously uh, helped to drive a, a lot more soul-searching debate and questioning around um, whether trustees were on the right track. And um, we're very proud that eight years on from that, um, uh, the UK government has just um, put out some new draft regulations on pension trustee fiduciary duties, which reflect some of that experience and some of that debate. Hmm. So just to finish off with the origin story of, of share action. So, I mean, going from that, uh, people and planet USS campaign 
ultimately to fair pensions and and now share action. I mean, how has that evolved? Uh, it seems like the dialogue, the debate has certainly evolved. Policy has evolved. Um, has it been hard fought, would you say? Has it been you know more push than nudge? Well, the wonderful thing about the origins of our charity, and by the way, I didn't found the charity. Mm. It was it, I, I was employed, albeit in its very early days, to to help um, build it up. But uh, it came into an existence um, as a result of a, an amazing kind of real people powered campaign in the university sector, um, actually stimulated originally by students, but then very much by the academics who are the members of the university superannuation scheme. It's the largest occupational pension fund in the UK. And the academics, who, of course, had huge expertise in everything from finance and labor practices and philosophy and chemistry and climate science and all the rest of it, uh, were very interested in whether their trustees were focused and engaged on not only ethical questions, but on financially material, um, environmental, social and governance risks, which were highly relevant to their long-term outcomes and prospects um, in retirement. And I just think that I'm so proud of the fact that our organization has its origins in this people-powered movement, because I still believe to this day that we need to create a more inclusive movement for change in, in, in capital markets, and that ultimately professional investors or agents acting on behalf of you know millions of people who every month out of their paycheck put something into a pension fund and that's a bit of a black box what happens to it but actually if we ordinary people take a bit more of an interest and and ask some questions and agitate for change then i think we'll end up with a better investment system one that actually serves those pension savers better in terms of their financial outcomes but also in terms of the impact that investors have on company behavior um, and that affects pension savers in their capacity as citizens and 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 just you know participants in our society and we do need to take a more joined up holistic view and inside the investment industry people's incentives tend to um, mitigate against taking that wider view you know people want to just um, maximize returns on their particular portfolio whatever the externalized costs of that and I really feel that ordinary people have a real good intuitive feel for how these things can be joined up better. And um, I'm very proud that our organization was founded by by ordinary pension savers demanding a different um, way of doing things with their pension fund. And that's still our mission today, to try and open this whole space up and bring people with an interest in how investment, um, how the investment industry operates um, bring their voice in and, and, and make those debates a bit more inclusive. Hmm. Just touching back on the idea of engagements, uh, I want to talk about how you see engaging with companies has evolved over time. Sure. There's actually a fine tradition going back a very long way um, of shareholder activism and engagement. I mean, if you think right back to the origins of public companies, um, shareholders who put their capital into these companies insisted on shareholder rights that would enable them to protect their capital and to keep an eye on corporate directors. Um, and and since, you know, anyone can buy shares in public companies by definition, um, all sorts of people do. And, um, you know, obviously most of the shares are held by large institutional investors and those are the, you know, the, the big investment organizations that we seek to influence. But what's so wonderful is that actually these are quite democratic structures. Anyone can buy a share. Anyone can turn up. 
Um, incidentally, one thing we're very concerned about is this kind of new trend to make AGMs virtual and to stop what has traditionally always been an opportunity for a true face-to-face encounter. Now, there's different styles of doing it. It can get crazy confrontational. I mean, some of my favorite, even though they're pretty wacky, um, AGM activism stories go back to the civil rights movement in the 60s in the States where companies like Kodak um, were, you know, a whole bunch of black people bought shares in Kodak so they could turn up at the Kodak AGM and and demonstrate against the fact that Kodak had a very racist hiring policy. But amazingly, as a shareholder, you were allowed in the room as a black person. I mean, that's so fascinating, I think. And and, and that led to change. And we're, we're still doing it. It doesn't have to be aggressive and confrontational. In fact, my preferred style is not to be. Um, I think it's important to show... Um, a level of respect and certainly politeness towards people that serve on the boards of major public companies. I think that showing that respect and being polite tends to get better results. Um, But what is important is that there's a real opportunity for anyone with an interest in that company to buy a share and turn up and, and, and make their case to the board. And again and again and again, we find that actually boards are listening and amazing stuff happens off the back of these questions. Hmm. Would you say, though, that this tactic is probably more vital than ever? You know, it just seems like the level of urgency now, you know, is justifiably a little bit higher. Yeah. Well, so I think I think the scene is very lively at the moment. So on the one hand, there's organizations like us that are really trying to um, enable anyone to go and ask a really smart, well-researched question. We do training um, sessions for this. So we every year we attract dozens and dozens of people to come and learn at the art of an AGM and we run a role play, you know, you find yourself like in a like a mini AGM type setting at our training and then people go and try it for themselves. And I think that's just so many people have said it was one of the most empowering things they ever did um, was bring an issue they care about deeply um, to the attention of the board um, of a large company whose behavior in the world has an impact on that issue. But what's so interesting is that institutional investors who really control, you know, most of the shares um, are really stepping up too. And you're absolutely right that climate change is a, is a sort of critical, critical path issue, which creates huge amount of financially relevant risk, but also is um, just putting at risk um, our quality of life and our future as a species. And ultimately, yes, we need all sorts of public policies on climate change, but um, to, to transform our, our, our global economy to a low-carbon basis is going to require billions and indeed trillions of private capital to be mobilized. And so it is absolutely appropriate that um, company AGMs and the investment world is sort of buzzing with a debate. And it's a, it's, it's a very challenging, contentious debate and nothing is settled in it, but it's buzzing with this debate about what is the role of investment private capital in helping to achieve this hugely ambitious low carbon transition that we all have to get going on now. Hmm. Part of that difficult debate is the engagement versus divestment um, path. Um, How do you weigh into that? It's something that a lot of asset owners and managers sort of struggle with. So, well, there are, um, First of all, I'd like to say that I think the divestment debate's been incredibly, um, not just the debate, but the movement, the divestment movement's been incredibly um, dynamic, impressive, catapulted the issue of um, sort of fossil fuel um, industry in particular um, and the role and responsibility of investors 
to engage with the challenges of that industry's trajectory. Um, so all credit to the divestment movement. At Share Action, we're shareholder activists. So primarily we're involved in um, trying to use the voice and the shareholder rights that you have as a shareholder to ensure that high carbon companies are undertaking serious strategy transition to align their business models with the goals and requirements of the Paris Climate Agreement. 193 governments came together in late 2015 and signed a very ambitious agreement. And right now we're not on track to meet the goals set um, in Paris. And very many high carbon public companies, whether it's the oil majors um, or utility companies, um, are just fundamentally misaligned with the goals of the Paris Agreement. And if their shareholders just sell out, that doesn't, in my view, solve the problem because those companies have other shareholders who buy the shares off the ones that divested and uh, they just carry on with business as usual. What we need is a shareholder base in these companies that is seriously engaged with using the rights that shareholders have to ensure that the right people are on the board of those companies uh, and putting in place the right strategies that undertake radical decarbonization of their business models. And that is not an easy ask. In fact, I think it's a little easier to just sell out and say, oh, you know, whoopee dip, I've done my bit, but you haven't done your bit if you sold your shares to someone else mm. who isn't holding that board to account on its climate journey. So that's my perspective. But, you know, it's it's what's wonderful about the divestment engagement thing is that every time people divest, it kind of puts a bit more pressure on those that are still in, invested in the company to actually get active. It's no good just being a passive holder um, and an inert, inactive holder of shares, particularly if you're a fiduciary investor looking after someone else's assets, like a pension fund. It's just not okay to just sit there and say, things are okay, we're not going to, we're going to sit back and we're just going to let the board do what it, what it wills. Um, so it's complicated. Hmm. I want to talk about two articles um, from two different periods and, and get your impression <laughs> or your feedback. In a 2010 article, um, in the wake of the great financial crisis, you would remark that in principle pensions, and I think, you know, I, I would sort of extend that to pretty much all asset managers and asset owners, um, are long-term investments, but in fact, they are driven by short-term logic. In a more recent article, you remarked that 86% of young savers support sustainable investment. 84% want to invest in responsibly run businesses. Do you think the system is better? How would you grade the system today versus that system in the wake of the great financial crisis? Long pause. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we're getting some of it better, doing some of it better. But I think the the short termism in capital markets hasn't gone away. It's still, unfortunately, um, very very important. And and I would lay a lot of the blame for that on remuneration arrangements. So actually, corporate pay. Corporate remuneration gets a huge amount of public attention, but investment sector pay and remuneration and sort of design and incentives built into that gets a lot less attention. But if you are a portfolio manager and a lot of your overall pay is bound up in a bonus system that 
focuses you on outperforming against a short a benchmark in the short term in let's say a 12 month or even a um, even a shorter term horizon then that's just going to drive all of your behavior um, so I think we we really need to think about whether we're in incentivizing individuals that are professionals in the investment industry in a way that actually aligns with the interests of the underlying clients, beneficiaries, and pension savers who absolutely have a long-term perspective, who want boards of companies to be taking decisions for the long-term, investing in innovation and R&D and all of the things that help to build companies' resilience and success over the long-term. And the last thing they need is fund managers that are saying, do you know what, would just be better for my bonus this year if... The board of that company were actually cutting costs right now because then we're going to get a short-term um, boost. Um, but there's a long-term cost to that. So I, I think there are real um, agency issues in the capital market system, and we may have better diagnosed them, but I don't think we've fixed them yet. Um, let me turn to the second issue, which is around the perspective on sustainability and responsible business that um, young people in particular, but actually people of all ages who are, you know, not professional investors, but rely on professional investors to look after their interests. So we found, an, and, and it comes up again and again, that people want to think that their retirement savings are invested in companies that are doing the right thing by their workforce, from an environmental point of view, and so on. But again, Incentive systems in the investment industry don't really put a lot of priority on that stuff. So there's a real disconnect in terms of the agents in the system and whether they're serving the interests of of the ultimate clients. Um, and I, I think our answer to all of these things is that we need better governance and accountability structures in the investment industry. We've been saying for years that how come it is that companies have to hold an AGM, but pension funds don't? Hmm. So you have all your money bound up in one pension scheme and you never, ever have the opportunity once a year to, as you would if you were a holder of a company's stock, if you were concerned um, by how that uh, pension fund was investing on your behalf to go and ask the trustees a few questions. No, you don't have that right. So the governance mechanisms in the investment universe are actually very poor compared to in the corporate sector. Um, and I would love to be in a world where a few people in each pension fund were nerdy enough to turn up at their pension fund's annual general meeting and ask some questions about responsible investment, about remuneration of fund managers, and all of these questions. Because I think that we would get towards the right answers by having that um, challenge fed into the system. Do you have a short list of, of a critique, so to say, um, of four or five things that are just recurring problems when you look at corporates when you look at managers for instance that that uh, that keep popping up at agms that you have to push on you know is it uh, the gender pay gap is it uh the lack of an articulate answer when it comes to tcft um i think there's such a wide range of issues and companies in different sectors um have different things that they really need to focus on um and so my kind of core critique would be that um we need to enable more ordinary people to have their voice heard in the system and to be asking those questions because the specific issues will vary from company to company. But, um, you know, going back to the, my first opening remarks about um, the suffragettes, you know, their demand was to have a voice in the system, to have a vote like everyone else. 
And I really feel like in our kind of late stage capitalism, where we have these huge institutional investors that control a vast amount of what goes on in the corporate sector around the world, we really lack a kind of fit for purpose governance and democratic structure around how those investors are representing our interests. They make decisions on our behalf that are very important decisions and they're not subject to challenge or to replacement through a voting process. And And I actually feel like a lot of the hard-won truths in democracy um, and how you get fit-for-purpose democratic um, structures in society need translation and bringing over to... Um, our capitalist and capital market structures. So as the chief executive of ShareAction, how do you balance these? How do you balance the local and the larger than local uh, policy issues? Well, we did a, quite a bit of work a few years ago trying to think through how do we think we're really going to bring about sustained transformational change in the investment industry? And we thought there's three pieces to this. First of all, we need to build a truly inclusive movement for responsible investment. We need to make this everyone's business. We need to empower people who are in the system as professional investors to feel you know, more like they can be agents of change. I think you're a wonderful example of that yourself, Jason, um, at Man Group. <laughs> but we also need to enable and empower people who are not professional investors, but who have a stake in the system through their retirement savings or whatever it may be, to have more of a say and more of a voice and to be more educated around what's going on in their name with their money. So building a movement is something we're so committed to. But alongside that, the second piece um, of this sort of a three-legged stool here, the second leg of the stool is policy reform. Of course, we need um, a legal and regulatory system that's fit for purpose, that's enabling um, and supporting institutional investors to make long-term decisions, that's addressing agency problems I referred to already, um, that's just um, really looking out for the, for the consumer interests of savers because a lot of the time they're getting fleeced with expensive fees. And, you know, there's a lot of just very basic bits in the, that the regulators and, and, and the policymakers should be taking care of. So we we feel like really digging in and having a look at the smart solutions on policy reform is, a, is a, another really important piece. And then we have the bit that kind of gets most of the attention because it's really fun, which is, you know, running real shareholder activism campaigns where we're using the tools that exist in the system, imperfect as it is, to make an impact on how companies behave in the world. And I think it's just a wonderful thing that our system does have um, these, you know, it is true, as I said earlier, you can buy one share in a company and you can have your voice in that, in the corporate um, governance uh, arena. So um, in terms of the issues we pick on, um, you know, it's hard to choose. You're completely right. There's such a kind of richness of... Um, wonderful things that need to be addressed and where there are some great creative solutions. And um, so we like to go with, you know, stuff that's a bit topical. So gender pay gap's been really fun to work on this year because these new gender pay gap numbers came out of British companies and it was like, oh my goodness, it's just revealed there's this huge gender pay gap issue. And um, so we did a bunch of questions on that. But, you know, next year we'll ride a, probably a different little wave. And we do have some real consistent issues like climate change is so, so fundamental. Um, I'm just back from the most amazing trip to Greenland mm -hmm. to actually watch the melting glaciers. And it was just so eye-opening and motivating. And I'm, I'm all fired up to do a lot in the next period because we have this 
very perilously short window of opportunity to really make an impact on climate change before we get into dangerous tipping points and beyond no return points. And so, you know, we're pretty consistent on that one. Um, But uh, I think what ties it all together is a sense that change is possible. Hmm. Thanks very much, Catherine. Sure. Well, it's wonderful to be on this podcast. And now over to Bethan Livesey, ShareAction's Head of Policy Engagement. It's great to have you on the show, Bethan. Thank you. Happy to be here. Um, so you lead ShareAction's Policy Engagement and Research work. What exactly does that mean? So the policy work we do, um, my team, we interact with policymakers, regulators, um, anyone who's kind of shaping the rules of the game around the investment system. But we actually find ourselves going out to policymakers and talking to them about the intricacies of pensions regulation, whether or not different parts of the investment system are transparent enough, whether people have the right duties and obligations to the people whose money they're managing. Um, and And our job is actually stripped back from a lot of the issues because our theory of change is that the framework that governs the way in which people's money is managed needs to be transparent and accountable and to um, help channel the right type of behaviours that will um, encourage responsible investment so that people's money when it goes from their pay packet every month in from their pension into the investment system is invested in a way which is aligned with the values that those people help hold so our policy work is very much about looking at the the system as a whole and trying to make it Um, work better for the ordinary person. It seems like a pretty unique proposition when you look at the stakeholders that ShareAction has in the sense that you've got savers, you've got institutional investors, uh, and you have policymakers, which is very different from other initiatives. For instance, the Principles for Responsible Investment represents, obviously, institutional investors and asset owners. Um, How do you find that balance representing those different stakeholders from a policy perspective? So when we're actually out talking to policymakers, the stakeholder that I have in mind is always the ordinary saver. So we're not a consumer group. We're not necessarily talking about um, consumer rights and the way in which groups like which might. But we're looking at the way in which the best interests of the ordinary um, saver, who is actually someone who might not even be aware that they're putting money into this system every month. Um, We're starting from the premise that it's their money, our money, um, the investment system invests it on their behalf and they have a legitimate interest in what happens. So that is always the um, the way in which I look at the investment chain and when talking to policymakers and thinking about the way in which that chain can be made better, we're always putting the, the best interests of the ordinary saver um, into the debate. And it really bothers me um, that ordinary people... You know, my colleagues here in Share Action, um, my peers, are putting money every month into a system and providing the capital without having the rights over the rights to know where it goes or um, a proper say or proper transparency about how it's used. So that is always in my mind as the voice that we add to the policy debate. It's a good question. I mean, looking at that system now versus five or 10 years ago, um, and this would predate when you were involved in share action, but how would you grade that system? Is it a better system? Has there been enough change? Obviously, it's, there's a lot to be critical about. Um, it's a good question. I think, I think the debate has shifted so that the people are now open to asking the right, the kind of questions that we would think would start to lead to an improvement. Um, I think there's still 
a real paternalistic um, approach to people's money being managed within the system. So I still think there's a sense in which the system and the rules that govern it see its role as taking money from people um, and then it's not really their concern what happens. And at, at the end of you know, the 20, 30, 40, 50 years that they're investing their money, they get a pension. They don't need to worry about what's happened in between. And that, I think, is one of the failings of the system that persists. Got it. Um, share action, from a policy perspective, is involved in so much. I mean, the breadth of, of what you do always boggles me from cross-transparency when it comes to defined contribution schemes, um, working on ethical choices for work pay, uh, workplace pension auto-enrollment to um, bigger issues like scrutinizing and responding to the European Commission's action plan on sustainable finance. How do you think about what to focus on and prioritize when it comes to that policy agenda between the local and the more global or sort of uh, uh, EU-oriented? It is a real challenge, especially when you start from the point of view of is the system working in the best way for the ordinary saver? Because when you start to look at things from that point of view, you just see so many problems and the temptation can be to try and fix everything. We have a really small team, um, so we have to look at where we can add value to the debate. But we also need to be really responsive to the opportunities and the what you might call the policy windows that are opening out. So, for example, in the EU at the moment, the sustainable finance debate has really taken off. And that's something which, you know, as an NGO looking at responsible investment, we just couldn't ignore. Um, we really want to be in there helping to shape the, the way in which the EU's um, plans develop. So I think it has to be a mix between trying to set the agenda and to highlight things where we don't think the system's working as well as it could for the ordinary saver but then also just making sure that we are in there being a voice at the table to counter other voices at the table um when when the debate is happening and one of the huge challenges at the moment and we don't necessarily have a solution to it is just that there is so much going on in this space um the UK government is massively interested in social impact investment. So people being able to invest their money, not just for a financial return, but for a social return. So perhaps in a project that helps homelessness. Um, and the green finance debate is going on in the UK as well with work for the for the UK Treasury. Obviously, the, the EU is very interested in sustainable finance. So there's a huge amount going on across the table and we just try to spread ourselves um, across all those opportunities. Um, and that probably means that we, at times, at the moment, are being less proactive in terms of raising other issues that we think could be raised. Do you think we get more clarity and more sort of convergence, specifically within the UK, around defining fiduciary duty right now? I mean, we've seen the K Review, the Law Commission, um, um, a lot of efforts that sort of reinforce the fact that the idea of fiduciary duty should be more holistic and, and uh, consider things like environmental, social and governance factors. Um, but yet we've seen um, the Financial Conduct Authority, for instance, um, sort of resist redefining that formally. I think that definitely the the dialogue in the market has changed so that it's now not really acceptable for an investor, whether they be um, an, an institutional asset manager or whether they are a pension trustee 
pension fund or scheme to say that they don't think that environmental, social and governance issues can have an impact on the financial value of their portfolio. So I think we've got to the point where it's now commonly accepted within the market that what we call ESG, so environmental, social and governance factors, can have a financially material impact on um, the investments that investors are making. But what we haven't seen, although people will now probably be quite reluctant to openly deny that that's important, we haven't necessarily seen um, movement across the whole market in terms of actually taking that seriously in the way that um, money is run and um, business models. So th- this shift it has come about in the past few years and is a massive progress step. But we do need the regulators to also be clear that if the laggards in the industry aren't doing enough in this respect that they will take some kind of action to encourage that and that's what i think is still missing from the fca and and some of the other regulators and it's i think it's comes down to a nervousness about interfering with the market um and a a wider belief that the market will deal with these issues um, efficiently if you give it enough time got it how do you see the alignment between policy setting, that mechanism, and what investors are doing in this area, their activities? Um, you know, historically, it seems like it's been quite misaligned. I mean, policy has really had to nudge and push for investors, whether it's asset owners or managers, to embrace things like ES and G. Um, you know, is it, is it fair, though, particularly over the last three to five years, is it fair to say that there's less of a misalignment? Because, you know, obviously you see... Uh, investors um, starting to act, you know, more singularly, whether it's through initiatives like the Principles for Responsible Investment um, or even through sort of collaborative engagement activities with share action, for instance. I think it's worth looking at what regulation in this area is like. Often it's providing a nudge towards a certain type of behavior, whether that be through a complier explain code like the stewardship code or by law trying to clarify what the duties are for investors or it's around increasing transparency whether over costs or policies on ESG for example but it's actually quite soft in its attempts to drive better practice and that does seem to be working in respect of the part of the market um, of investors which gets the point of responsible investment so those who see the evidence and can see the value in acting in this way those nudges help them kind of stay on track to doing the right kind of things but the outstanding issue in terms of the interaction between policymakers and investors is what to do with the laggards um those who just really don't see the point or will have a policy on their website for example but don't actually integrate it at all into their day-to-day activities and that's where share action still i think has a role to expose those kind of differences within the market help the ones that are doing really well to showcase what they're doing and to provide examples of best practice and then to really um, name and shame the um, laggards to, to say that, you know, you're not doing enough. And that is part of our theory of change. A lot of our research and surveys and rankings is aimed at, at doing that and driving that competition between market participants. Um, but ultimately, in terms of the policy angle, you know, I think there, there is there is a, a role for the, the regulator to be stronger and for there to be proper sanctions when people don't take these things seriously. Thanks. So let's talk about what we should be watching out for. Uh, What would you highlight from an upcoming policy sort of schedule or, you know, as a policy item or a framework that 
share action is either working on or that we should be looking forward to. And, and I'd say that, you know, maybe you can sort of talk from a UK perspective. Obviously we just saw a report by the department of works and pensions come out and also from a wider EU perspective. Yeah. So over the summer, I think in the UK and in the EU, fiduciary duty is really um, up for debate and the stakes are quite high and that changes could be made to really clarify what investors should and should not be taking into account. Um, after that, uh, I think we'll be heavily involved in trying to push for the UK stewardship code to be reviewed and um, revised in such a way that it encourages more responsible investment by um, institutional investors. Um, we are really, really interested in the way in which the pension system is changing at the moment. So we're seeing we're seeing the end of the of people re of retiring with pensions where they were guaranteed a final salary from their company and people my age and younger are being auto enrolled into what we call defined contribution schemes so we're not guaranteed a final pension and a final salary at the end of our pension saving life what we get depends on how well it's invested by the people who are managing our money and i think the way in which the market is shifting in that respect is going to open up some really important debates around things like communication with savers about where and how their money is invested and greater transparency and greater rights to know. And I think that's something that we're, we're really keen to be pushing along and to be working with progressive people in the industry to make that make pensions something that people know more about and um, can be excited about. Great. Thanks very much. It's been uh, really fascinating to hear about what Share Action is doing to set higher standards of corporate behavior and drive greater levels of investor engagement in an effort to improve people's lives and protect the environment. So I'd really like to thank you for your time today. I'm Jason Mitchell here today with Catherine Howarth and Beth and Lizzie from Share Action. Many thanks for joining us on Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future, and I hope you'll join us on our next podcast episode. You're listening to Perspectives Toward a Sustainable Future, a podcast about what we're doing today to build a more sustainable world tomorrow. I'm Jason Mitchell. Thanks for joining us. And special thanks to everyone that helped produce this show. To check out more episodes of this podcast, please visit us at man.com forward slash responsible dash investment or look for us on iTunes.